Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So for this week's joke, I've got some punny vectors, but I don't really know how to express them as words. That's a, that's quite a problem you got there. Yeah, maybe this episode will help. Yeah, I think so. You're listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so today we're not actually talking about going from vectors to words. Uh, we're going from word to vec. Right. Tours. Vectors. Um, yeah, so this is picking up a little bit the thread that we left off last week around how do you vectorize text data to do machine learning on it. And this week I was going to talk about word to vec, which is kind of your standard state of the art right now for text vectorization. So this will be better than anything that we talked about in the last episode, uh, but the things in the last episode are interesting nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, better is a loaded term, but, um, mm. well, word to vec has got some really cool attributes. So, like, let's just jump in, and then I will let our listeners decide for themselves. And just to briefly recount, this is vectorizing words. So it's taking words, and it's basically turning them into multiple dimensional numbers or numerals and that could those could be ones or zeros or whatever and that's because numerical data is a lot a lot easier to work with when you're building um algorithms when you're doing math yeah yeah when you're doing doing linear algebra yeah ultimately what we're doing (laughs) right so in the last episode we talked about the bag of words approach and a TF-IDF matrix term frequency inverse document frequency. And the general idea here is we have a bunch of words and we want to encode it as ID numbers or as positions and vectors or whatever. Um, there's I'm glossing over a lot of the details here. But the thing about that formulation is that it doesn't really provide any useful information about re- relationships or meaning uh, of the words. I guess there's a little bit of relationships if you see vectors that have words co-occurring together. But in general, you're kind of losing a lot of the the meaning and the relationships in the words when you just represent them as numbers, because numbers don't have kind of the same richness that language does, or it's a different kind of richness, let's say. The other thing is that that representation is very sparse, and it's very high dimensional in general. And that's not particularly something that is necessarily very good for machine learning algorithms to handle. Some of them can do all right, But if you're trying to do something like a random forest classifier or something like that, having super duper high dimensional data can sometimes be more of a hindrance than a help. Mm -hmm. The idea of word to vec is we want to take our words and we map them onto points in this high dimensional space that we'll talk about a little bit more. But imagine each word is a point in space and we want to have those points in space have the characteristic where similar words go to nearby points. Another way of saying that is that words that occur in the same context have similar meaning. Oh, interesting. So if I were to imagine all of these vectors as three-dimensional vectors, and of course, the reality is that this is a much higher dimensional space that we're working in than three dimensions. But if you imagine it in almost 3D space, then you could almost imagine similar words with similar meanings grouping together in these clusters in three-dimensional space. And so... If you looked at one of those words and you wanted to find, say, synonyms or things, uh, thing, I guess words that had similar meaning, you would just look at the things that are nearby it. And once again, this is not actually three-dimensional. It's, I don't know, like, what's a number that we're talking about? 100 to 1,000. Okay, so not, <laughs> not visualizable, but 
I guess in some kind of fuzzy abstract way, you can imagine generalizing two dimensions to three dimensions, three dimensions to four dimensions, well, all the yeah, way up I mean, to 100. It's actually more um, visualizable than you might guess. So Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't see 100 dimensions, but um, if you use a dimensionality reduction embedding technique like TSNE, which we've covered oh, in one of yeah, our previous episodes. Yeah, then you can take these high dimensional vectors and uh, project them down into like a two dimensional space. And in fact, there's a lot of really interesting um, visualizations of word to vec words as you've represented them in this lower dimensional representation. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. I'll give you some examples of what that actually looks like. But maybe a way to understand what I'm saying about context is the idea of word to vec is that words that occur in the same context have similar meanings. And so, for example, dog and cat are fairly similar words in a lot of ways. Like they're, they kind of like fill the same spot in our kind of collective experience. Mm-hmm. And so you could imagine a sentence that's probably fairly common is something like, oh, I went to the animal shelter yesterday and I adopted a dog. And you can also imagine a fairly common sentence, I went to the animal shelter yesterday and I adopted a cat. And so since those two words have very similar context, in fact, identical, as I stated it just there, then what that's effectively doing is it's telling word to vec the dog and cat, for some reason, share something. There's there's Mm. some kind of shared meaning there. And that's going to be reinforced once you look over the entire body of sentences in a really large corpus like... Uh, something that like Google has to train on, for example, because there's going to be all kinds of sentences like that in which dog and cat are occurring in really similar sentences. So they're talking about four-legged animals that are pets and that like to hang out with humans and all of these sorts of things. And so repeatedly seeing dog and cat together is giving you reinforcing information that there's something kind of similar going on between these two words. And so word to vec when it puts dog and cat into this high dimensional space, the points that those two uh, words occupy in that high dimensional space will be like relatively close to each other, mm. at least compared to, let's say, dog and envelope motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. All right. So with that, let's start talking about the algorithm. So um, word to vec is a few years old at this point, but it's still relatively recent. Uh, it was it came out of Google originally, and The idea here in general is we want to make an algorithm that is going to try to predict a word based on its neighbors. So under the hood, word to vec is, you can think of it as a prediction algorithm. And what that algorithm is doing is it's something like a neural net that has these internal embedding vectors for words. Um, And when you're training the model, it's actually, it's trying to predict what words are occurring based on the context and the sort of internal mechanics of the model those embedding vectors are parameters that you're fitting as you're fitting the predictive model. And so in some ways, it's like kind of this weird case where in a certain sense, a lot of what you're doing is you're, you're training this predictive model and you're not particularly making use of the predictions of it. You're making use of the internal structure, those embedding vectors inside the model as the representations of the words. And, that, and that's what you actually want out is those representations. Oh, that's really interesting. I'd, I'd never thought of building a model and then not using the output given a certain input, but instead using some other component of it. Yeah, so you, I mean, you could use the output, but sure. within this context, yeah, usually it's the, uh, it's those embedding vectors that you're more interested in. So in other words, um, like in the past, we've described 
uh, neural nets is this kind of black box. And you give it a bunch of inputs and you tell it for each of these inputs what the output should be. And then the neural net rejiggers all the stuff inside of the black box, right? So that way for all those inputs, you get all those outputs. And then presumably for new inputs, you get outputs that are representative of reality, say. Um, but in this case, we're kind of doing that, but then opening up the black box and looking inside and trying to make use of the, the structure. Yep. Yeah. So you can imagine this neural net and what that's doing is it has some kind of probability function. So what's the probability? Uh, like I said, you're trying to predict a given word based on the context that you've seen so far. So sometimes they call this the history. So what's the probability of seeing a particular word given the history that you have? And that's uh, very commonly uh, something that's called a softmax function. So that's kind of like the exponential of uh, some score function of how consistent that word is with the history divided by the sum of the exponentials of all the words in the corpus, uh, the or the score associated with all the words in the corpus in that history. So it's kind of like saying, what's the... I'm being a little bit, you know, slightly inaccurate here, but just to get the idea, what's the probability that I see this given word, given the history that I've that I have, versus the probabilities of all the other words that I could have, which add up to 100%. And then you basically want to find the word for which that probability is maximized. And, and so that's a fairly straightforward exercise, at least hypothetically. You just have to look at all the words and all the histories and calculate which one is the most likely. Or in particular, you have to do that for sort of all of the words in the corpus. So it's not just going to be a pure lookup number or lookup table of, of all the probabilities. It's going to be sort of this complex function that is fitting to every possibility of everything that you could ever see. That's the neural net. But the general idea here that I'm going for is that for every word that you're looking at, you have to compare that word to all the other words that are options for what you could be saying there, which is potentially lots and lots of words because there's thousands of words in, in most languages. And so it's really expensive to train in that formulation where you're kind of doing this round robin comparison of all the mm. words against all the other words. Right. And so the second part of word to vec that is pretty clever is that you there's a speed up trick. You would kind of need a speed up trick when you're talking about the, the perspective of comparing every word to every other word. Indeed. So instead of trying to predict which word it is of all the valid options, what word to vec does is it makes the model a binary classifier instead of this very high dimensional multi-class classifier across all the words. It's a binary classifier. And what it does is instead of comparing the true word to a bunch of other true words, it makes up noise words, which are not real words, obviously, by design, and then tries to classify the real word correctly as like the word that's going to be assigned to this sentence, given the history. Select the real world word from amongst all the noise words. Well, why would it, why would it be making up noise words in the first place? Oh, because that greatly lowers the number of comparisons that you have to make. So you don't have to compare each word to the 10,000 other words in the language. You just have to compare it to a smaller number of noise mm. words. And it allows you to reformulate it as a binary classification problem also. Like, is this a real word or is this a noise word? As opposed to mm. they're all real words and you have to like pick the best one, which is a little bit, a little bit more complicated to do. I see. 
And are these noise words randomly selected words, or are they just collections of characters? I think they're just collections of characters, although I didn't get into this detail as much, so I could be wrong. But the point is that in high statistics limits, the results that you get here, the model that you fit and the predictions that it makes will approximate that softmax function, the really expensive one that we were talking about earlier. So the idea here is you're taking a shortcut around having to look at all the words. Um, and in the high statistics limit, you still get the same answer as if you didn't take that shortcut, but it speeds things up a whole lot. Okay, so the last detail that I want to add before we move on to the more interesting applications is that there's a couple different formulations of word to vec, um, and those depend on whether you are trying to predict a word given its context. So you have sort of a window of words, you know, a couple words to the left and a couple words to the right, and you have to pick the one that's in the middle. This is called a continuous bag of words formulation. And this is nice because it's comparatively fast to train. But there's also a skip gram version. Um, and so that flips a situation around where you you give it one word and it tries to guess the, the surrounding context that falls on either side of that word. Um, and this is a little bit slower, but it's a little bit better for infrequent words. So there's just a couple different formulations also that you can think about depending on exactly what you're trying to optimize for. So the applications of word to vec would be similar with our uh, previous text vectorization methods. Uh, but how do we know that it's significantly better? Oh, yeah. The original reason that we wanted to use word to vec was the, the postulation that maybe it was preserving meaning in a way that just simple bag of words wasn't. And there's actually a lot of anecdotes that that support this, and they're kind of fun. So one of the classic ones uh, is it's really good at analogies. It's really good for, you can do vector algebra on these vectors that you get out of word to vec and that vector algebra makes sense semantically. So an example of this is if you take the word king, you subtract the word man, you add the word woman, and these are all the word to vec mm. vectors, mm -hmm. what do you think you should get out? I would assume queen. Yeah, and that's what you get with word to vec, which is kind of cool. Really it's kind of cute. Because so it's also... representing the meaning of these things in, in some sort of a way where you can do basic algebra on them and get to answers like that. Yeah, there's also a lot of really good examples, and these were uh, some of the ones that they have visuals for that I was referring to at the beginning of the episode, where they have a whole bunch of countries, and then uh, the vector relationship between a country and its capital city. So you might have Italy and Rome and France and Paris and England and London and so on and so on. And so you can see kind of a, a line of all the countries and then a line of all the hmm. capitals in this T-SNE re reduced dimensionality space. And that there's basically the same vector that's pointing between all of those pairs of words. And that vector is basically something that's representing like the the idea or the relationship as we represent it in text that one of these things is a country and the other one is its capital city and that that vector is kind of like preserved across all these different cases which is super cool and then the last thing so that we don't end on too much of a positive note <laughs> is sometimes they study this you know there's there's all these like fun little things where people go in and play around with these vectors and <laughs> There was a case that I was reading about fairly recently where they were looking at gender associations of different professional names of professional jobs and like careers and stuff. And so there was this example that I 
have heard about one time and it's something like might be getting the details wrong but i think it was so you have man to doctor and then the question is what's the analogy for women and we would hope that in today's gender equal society it would also say doctor because almost half of doctors are are women maybe more in some subfields at this point but, but no, you can maybe see where this is going. Not, not in our society, no, unfortunately. No, the, the, the vector answer that we got out based on all the text that it had been reading was that uh, the female equivalent of a doctor is, is a nurse, according to Word to Vec, which is a little mm. bit disappointing. Uh, but that's not Word to Vec's fault. That is our society's fault. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Let's not give Word to Vec too much of a hard time here no it's just it's just representing reality in too real of a way i think <laughs> yes indeed um so yeah that's word to vec um it's a really nice way of pre-processing words especially if you want to be uh, doing some higher dimensional text learning so if you're running some kind of machine learning recurrent neural network machine translation thing whatever chances are very good that there's some kind of word to vec embedding that's happening as a pre-processing step and that is the thing that enables uh some of these sophisticated algorithms to actually work which is pretty cool linear digressions is a creative commons endeavor which means you can share or use it any way you like just tell them we said hi to find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.